0: We're going to start our series tonight um, on elders. Um, we've been se- talking about this in our worship services, but I told you we would begin a Sunday evening series. Uh, we don't have a long time for this this evening. We have a members meeting here at the end of our service. Um, so I just want to give an introduction to what we're going to be doing in this uh, series tonight. Um, in our, though our time is brief, I want to answer four main questions as we introduce what we're thinking about as a church body. First, um, what should we expect from this Sunday evening series on church government? Uh, this is intended to be a more formal time than when we um, have a sermon on Sunday morning. Um, this is meant to give you a chance to come and ask questions. The way we will set it up is I will teach for about 30 to 35 minutes and then give you 15 to 20 minutes to ask questions about that topic. So this will last several weeks. I have plans for several different specific areas that I want to address, Um, but I also want to give you time to ask questions, Um, very specific questions that I'm sure are coming to your mind and are coming to my inbox and my ears, and that's great. We want to answer those. Um, so, this will be a great time for us to talk together as a body. Some of the areas I want us to address is, again, to look at the scripture passages that list all the different areas. I want you to see the overwhelming majority of the text, and that's where we'll start, not next Sunday night, but in two Sunday nights. Um, I want to help you by thinking through the different forms of church government. That's often one of the first questions that people ask is, well, is this this kind of denomination? Are we changing denominations. What does this actually mean? Um, no, we are not. Okay. Why do different churches come to different conclusions? I can't speak for all of them, but I can tell you what these other patterns look like. Um, we'll examine what the Bible teaches about congregationalism. We believe the authority, the final authority for many areas in the body rests in the congregation. That's not going to change Um, But we want to keep refining what we understand congregationalism to be. What is the role of the body in the service of the church? I also want to discuss with you elders in Baptist history. That it should not be a surprise to us, but most of us don't uh, understand that background, that this is not new. A lot of us are saying, well, where did this come from? I've never experienced this. Where is this coming from? Um, If you look at certain church history documents that Baptists for centuries have adhered to, this is not new. Um, We'll conclude our series then by examining the qualifications and functions of elders. And that's where we'll get into some of the more specifics. But again, you can raise those questions along the way. That's not the only place that you can do that. Um, when we discuss together, I want to just remind us that I would ask you to keep in mind that this isn't a time in a family service to bring up all your objections. All right, You can do that with me personally anytime you want to. I'd be happy to talk to you, um, but to ask questions that would serve our body as a whole. You can ask hard questions. That's wonderful. Um, but, but the point is, I would want to ask a question that serves the whole body. If you have like 15 questions you've already compiled, let's set up a lunch. That'd be probably better for everybody. And I'll I'll put that on my list of questions to address, okay? Um, I I mean that in all seriousness. I would love to meet with you. Um, I know for many of us this is new. Um, We're we're moving into some new territory from our experience. Um, The other pastors and I are eager to get together with you and explain this in greater detail. Um, Number two. Why are we taking so much time on this? That's question two. Why are we taking so much time on this? Well, in order to answer this question, I think it might be helpful for you to see a demonstration. It'd be helpful for me to have this information. So how many of you have never been a member of a church with elder-led congregationalism? How many of you have never been in a church as a member with elder-led congregationalism? Raise your hand. Right, me neither. So this is new for the majority of our body. And when you lead in change, the best way to lead change as a pastor is from the word of God. Always, always, always. So that's why as we've started, we've started with the scriptures, with preaching. Um, since I came back from my sabbatical at the end of July, I've now preached five sermons, specifically On this topic from the three major texts where it is mentioned, there are many other texts that we'll look at altogether, but on the three major texts, um, I'm attempting to give you the time to consider these texts carefully for yourself. The last thing that I want is to tell you, well, this is what I think, and since I'm the pastor, just come along. There's a piece of that that's good and right, and I appreciate that about the congregation. If we can see it in the word, we're ready to do it. But part of what I'm hoping we will do is ingrain this into our consciences, ingrain this into the way that we think about the church, that we would grow in our understanding of what God is doing in the church. And even as you saw those hands raised, I know some of you are convinced and have been convinced right away, but others of you uh, may be growing more convinced, but maybe you want to have some of your questions answered and others are still perhaps not convinced at all. And that's okay. We want to give each other time and be charitable. Again, my desire in taking our time and starting with the exposition of the word is to reorient our consciences on a subject that many of us have not thought a whole lot about. We were talking about that in our life group in the past couple of weeks. And that was one of the comments that came out. Well, I just, I've never really actually thought about it or looked at the scriptures about it or been showed what the scriptures say about it. Uh, If this is truly the New Testament pattern, then this shouldn't just be a change that we pursue because the current leader of this church or leaders is saying this is the way we go. This is not a fad. This isn't a fad. This is as old as this book. And I think, I hope, after those five sermons, you can see that. Um, I hope you can see that. We need to reorient our convictions and dig some deep ruts into our minds As to what Scripture is teaching us, Uh, I was talking with one of our deacons the other day, and this is actually a repeated conversation now that I've had with a few of them. He commented to me that after the reading and studying and preaching that we've done in our church up to this point, he would actually now have a problem convictionally if we don't finish this process. You know what that tells me? We're right on track. We're right on track. This should be reorienting our convictions. The point is his conviction, our conviction, has been heightened to the point that now we're believing this is the most biblical form of church government. That's a good sign. I want us to continue to encourage the body toward that same level of conviction. Now, we're naturally going to want to rush forward and start talking about all the specifics. That's the interesting piece, right? But we've got to make sure we're clear and careful with the scriptures we want to know who these new lay elders are going to be, how we're going to identify them, how we'll implement them into our church family. And, and I just want to encourage you, we will answer those questions as we work toward the end of the year. That's, that's our target, the end of the year. So we're, we're in good shape. We're in a good time. This is just like building a house. We're laying a biblical foundation first, and then we start to work on the particulars once the house is. Has been framed up. All right, question three. Why is this so important for our church family to make such a big change? All right, things seem to be going well. We're encouraged with each other. The church is advancing the gospel. Why should we do this? Well, it's an excellent question and one that I've wrestled with for about eight years now since I've been the pastor. 1 Timothy 3. In 1 Timothy 3, just after Paul gives Timothy and the Ephesian church the list of qualifications of both elders and then deacons, he writes in verse 14 Listen carefully. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you, Timothy, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. This is God's house, His temple his church. There's instructions for how it's to be organized. I hope as we work through the rest of what we're going to talk about tonight, you'll see God's kindness in that design. He continues, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So he's saying, even how you organize yourself, it helps establish and declare the truth. Remember what Paul writes to Titus in Timothy, or rather Titus 1.5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul is absolutely convinced that for the stability, the health, the protection of God's people, in these churches, Titus needs to identify, equip, and install faithful elders. Here's how one pastor addresses this question. The church is a reflection of God's son. That's why the leadership of the church is of utmost importance. The church is how the great hope, eternity with Christ, is to be seen. It's his program in this world right now. That was the plan from the beginning. From eternity past, God enjoyed full fellowship with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. In the fullness of his love, he made this world and then came himself to redeem it. Those redeemed masses of this fallen world are ultimately to be with God forever. In that great assembly, our union with Christ will know new depth, richness, and permanence. It will sparkle and shine. It will irradiate and warm. It will add passion and understanding that we can scarcely dream of now. He's saying this is God's plan to glorify Himself. He cares. He cares. How we reflect that glory. When speaking then of the leadership of the local church, is it any wonder then that who should lead the church and how is so critical? The point here is that leadership in the church is a vital issue because of the value God places on his church. Consider again Acts 20. We looked at this just a couple weeks ago. In verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. This is like an ordination sermon that Paul gives to these Ephesian elders. Pay careful attention in which the Holy Spirit, member of the Trinity one, has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Trinity member two, in which he obtained with his own blood. Trinity member three. We see in Acts twenty twenty-eight that the price one is willing to pay for an object demonstrates its worth what did God pay for this body so we better be very very careful to hear and understand his word when he tells us how to lead and organize and serve in our church the son bled and died for the church this church how could God have paid more how could God have paid more God wants you then to be gathered into an imperfect church. I want you to understand that. I want you to remember in the story of the New Testament how did the church of Ephesus do? What do we know of them by the end of the story? In Revelation, we're told they've lost their first love. It's possible for churches to fall away from the living God. There is no perfect church. But God wants you to be gathered into an imperfect church to receive his care. This passage tells us this. Why? Because he loves us. We know how much he loves his sheep by what it cost him to purchase them. So that leads us to question four. How is God's love to us displayed then in the two offices he sets up in the church? Take your Bible and go to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll look at two verses there. We're going to have you look at four different passages tonight very quickly. um, We have a members meeting we'll get to in just a couple of minutes. This last point is not super long, but I do want to spend some time looking at a few passages together. How's God's love to us displayed in the two offices of the church? One author writes... Despite the tendency to ignore it, biblical leadership is crucial to building a church that glorifies God. We don't get to design this ourselves with whatever pragmatic strategy we think will work best. With whatever personalities we say, well, that will give us the best face out in the community. No, God's designed this for us. The exercise of leadership in the church relates to God's nature And character, that should stop us in our tracks. This is not a normal human institution. We better be very sober and careful as we think through this. Because the exercise of leadership in the church relates to God. His nature and his character. When Christians exercise proper authority through the law, around the family table, in our jobs, in our homes, and especially in the church, we help to display God's image to all creation. This is a Christian and a church's calling and privilege. So the two leadership offices in the church are elder and deacon as shown in scripture. The passages we've seen. Elders are to function as serving leaders and deacons are to function as leading servants. Both of these roles, think of it very carefully. This is what we'll talk about now. Both of these roles reflect Christ and his work directly. This is the heart of our talk. I want you to consider how these roles reflect Christ to us in the church. First, elders reflect God's love for us as his people because he himself is the great shepherd of the sheep. And elders are the under shepherds. So look at 1 Peter two twenty four, Speaking of Jesus Christ, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you've been healed for you are straying like sheep but have now returned. Notice the titles, how they're very similar to what we've been talking about, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see those titles? The same thing God calls elders to be. Later, Peter will encourage the under shepherds that the chief shepherd is the one to whom they will give an account who will reward them, give them the unfading crown of glory. Second, deacons are a reflection of the service of Christ because he himself is called the suffering servant. Go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, I've referred to this passage several times. This needs to get ingrained into the heartbeat of our church family. It's not just for this office of servant. In fact, the office of deacon is referred to only two places. Service is what every Christian is supposed to do and be. But there are to be some leading servants as an office. We're all, though, called to be servants. Mark 10, 42 through 45. And Jesus called them, his disciples, to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, unbelievers, lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. That's how leadership works in the world. They exercise authority over. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first must be slave of all. For or because... Even the Son of Man, the ruler of heaven and earth, came not to be served, but to serve, even to giving his life as a ransom for many. Deacons, servants of the church, are to reflect Christ's loving service to us in the way that they serve God's people. They're not zealous for their own name, to be recognized, for all their gifts to be used and recognized. Instead, they're willing to give up all. This is the model for how each of us, no matter our office, no matter our role, no matter our gifting, we're to serve one another like Christ has served us. Now, we were talking about this very passage as a family this afternoon. It's one that we rehearse often at our home as we're growing in character with young children. This is an important lesson. And even as we were applying the sermon to our lives this afternoon, the needs of our heart In caring for each other. That's a hard thing for siblings to care for each other, to serve each other, to not insist on my way and me first. But Jesus is the one who reorients our hearts toward what that looks like. Turn next to John 13. John 13, we'll look at verses 12 through 17 very briefly. John thirteen twelve it says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your teacher and Lord, your leader, your guide have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant, that's all of us, is not greater than his master, Jesus Christ. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. God's people gathered as his church, no matter how imperfect, are to reflect Christ's sacrificial service to one another. Every one of us has this title, servant. Every one of us. Do you see why this is so important? Do you see that our structure is intended by God to be more than just organizational wisdom? This isn't just best practices. And the Bible's just wise in telling us how to organize. It is both theological and doxological. Those are big words. It reflects the nature and glory of our God. Both of these offices, even when they're done imperfectly, reflect what he's like. They point us to see his care for us, even in the provision of these offices. The office of elder, even though it will function imperfectly, this side of heaven still points us to the great shepherd of the sheep. The office of deacon, even though it will function imperfectly, this side of heaven still points us to the suffering servant who sacrifices his own glory to serve us. Even a church's leadership structure organized following the biblical pattern of the New Testament then is intended to demonstrate God's love for us. Do you see how this does this so well? These two offices, they all are signposts pointing at Christ, the shepherd and servant. So God shows his love for us by providing to us qualified church leaders that are those kind of signposts. Do you see how this ratchets up the intensity for all of us? This is sobering for me to think about what my role is in serving a body. This should be sobering for you to think about what you're called to in serving the body. In praying and supporting your pastors. I want to read to you just one final passage. And it actually comes from the book we've just begun to study, 2 Samuel 23. These are David's final words. He builds up in this poetic language, and I want you to hear how he describes what godly leadership looks like. This is the antithesis of what we read in Mark 10 of what ungodly leadership, exercising authority looks like. Now these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who is raised on high, that's by God, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken, the rock of Israel has said to me. And what has he said? That's a big buildup. What has he said? When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light. There's grace in godly leadership. Each of us should aspire toward that in our homes, in our workplaces. We should bring light. We should bring health. He continues, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Godly leadership makes life work and grow and health to spring forth. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're praying for. May God give us grace to pursue this kind of leadership now, this kind of service in the places he's called us to. And as we work toward this type of polity change, may that be what we're looking forward to together. All right, let's pray, and we will have our members meeting. Gracious God in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful picture of your love for us. You are wise. You are caring. You love the church. Help us to love God's people in this way. Help us to trust you. Help us to recognize your kindness to us in providing us godly leaders. Help us to strive to be the kind of leaders that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.